in our efforts to upgrade our properties, add amenities, pile on guest services, leave gifts, and arrange local experiences in the name of differentiation, engagement, and superior hosting, are we starting an arms race to create impossibly spoiled guests? That was the question posed by owner and exceptional host, Sally Mitchell, and she is going to share all that on today's episode. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. hot off a long, hot summer, we have been reviewing what our guest expectations have been over the summer, over the past season. And we came to the collective conclusion from our meetings. We always have these staff meetings at the end of the summer and we say, what was so good and what was so bad and what's changed? And you know, it changes every year, but one thing that we know is guaranteed to be different every year is the expectations of our guests. And I've been saying to our owners since the day we started our company is that guest expectations are rising. You know, from the very first day we started or the very first season we started when guests were wanting proper televisions satellite TV instead of the little box in the corner with the rabbit ears. I'm talking 2002, 2003 at the time. They wanted satellite TV and it was just, oh, okay. So we put satellite TV in our properties. We encouraged all our owners to get the service and then it moved on to dishwashers and then to laundry services. And then over time, what was once traditional in cottage country Ontario, which was you provide your own linens and you clean up the place before you leave, the demand started to change for linens to be provided and cleaning services. And this became an expectation. Expectations this year are for air conditioning. And it's never been a thing for cottages in our part of the world to have air conditioning as standard. It's always been a luxury. You know, if you get hot, you get out out of the door and into the lake. That's what you do when you go on a vacation in cottage country. Not anymore. There's an expectation of air conditioning. It didn't say on the listing that there was no air conditioning and we didn't have a very good time because it was so hot. That was one of the reviews we got. So now we've had to swap around to say sorry, there is no air conditioning here. Instead of just not including AC, because the inclusion of AC was, you know, a a, a special gesture, I guess. And Wi-Fi, unlimited Wi-Fi 
is now an expectation. And we have to be very, very clear if a property only has a limited Wi-Fi capability, as many of our properties do, because we do not have the service out here in cottage country that in many places that allows for unlimited Wi-Fi. So when I saw the article on Matt Landau's Vacation Rental Marketing blog, and it was entitled, Are We Starting an Arms Race to Create Impossibly Spoiled Guests? It inspired me to find the author of the article and to invite her onto the podcast to talk about this because Sally Mitchell has sort of had an aha moment about what we're doing to create our impossibly spoiled guests. And she's you know way beyond AC and unlimited Wi-Fi. She's talking about things like the gifts that owners are giving to guests when they arrive, the guest, the additional guest services and arranging local experiences and sort of giving up of your time to be at your guests back and call. And are they now just expecting this as standard? So Really, I'm going to leave it to Sally to talk about this. So without further ado, let's move on over to my interview with Sally Mitchell. So I'm delighted to have with me today, Sally Mitchell, who is the owner of a beautiful or two beautiful properties in Mexico. And I'm going to ask Sally to talk about those in a second. But I just wanted to say that the the motivation for doing this episode was reading an article on Matt's blog, the Vacation Rental Marketing blog at vrmb.com. And it was entitled, Are We Starting an Arms Race to Create Impossibly Spoiled Guests? And it was the most superb article because I think it said so much of what we have all been telling ourselves over the past few years. So Sally, I am so delighted to have you on board today to talk to and just to tease this article out a bit and explain it to the audience. Thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Heather. Sally, let's kick off by, I'd like to ask you to tell us your vacation rental story. How did you get into this business and where you are with it today? Well, when I was in my late 20s, I lived at a small dive resort in the Bahamas for two years. I worked there as a dive master. And of course, I absolutely love getting paid to live by the sea, take guest diving, and meeting people who came to us from all over the world. And ever since then, I've tried to recapture aspects of that experience. Five years ago, when my husband and I first visited San Pancho on the Pacific coast of Mexico, we became enchanted by day two. We looked at some houses to see what was possible in our budget. At the fourth house, when we stepped onto the terrace and took in the ocean view and felt that tropical breeze, I started to cry. <laughs> this, yeah, this was the village and this was the house I'd been searching for for all those decades. Now, a year after we bought it, we lost our minds again and built a second house on our property. Now, this house was designed, built, and furnished as a vacation rental for two to four adults. I was very specific. My career's been in communication strategy, advertising, and copywriting, so I was really clear on who our ideal guests are and what they desired during their Mexican beach vacation. So that understanding influenced every decision from where the hot water heater was located to the number and placement of electrical outlets 
And of course, the style of furnishings and the color palette and details like that. So this new season, our season begins about mid-November, will be my fourth of hosting. And our local rental season lasts about 20 weeks or 140 nights. Last season, which was our third, we booked 22 weeks for a total of 154 nights. So we did really well. And we're on track to match that this season. That is amazing. So do you do anything during the summer? Because I'm guessing that, you know, your, your season is was it December through April? Mid-November mm-hmm. through mid-April, yeah. Okay. And what yeah. about, is, is it too hot in the, in the summer? Do you, do you get anybody coming there in the summer? We have had people. We used to discount our rate during the summer uh, just because that's sort of the practice where we are. But then I thought, well, that's really stupid because that's when the guests really blast the air conditioning and it gets very expensive. And it's also very difficult to host people during the summer because it's bloody hot and humid and it's the rainy season. So the land crabs come from the jungle and migrate to the beach through your shower and it's the thunderstorms come rolling in and just crash on top of you with torrential rain and you can feel your spleen dissolving. Then the restaurants are closed, the shops are closed. So now when people ask, can we come in July, I Mirandize them and say, well, gee, have you ever been to the Pacific coast of Mexico before at this time of year? And actually this year, as of July, I just shut it down. And that way we can protect all the furniture from the sun and the rain our staff gets a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. So we'll reopen the first week of November. Right. Right. It gives everybody a bit of a break. That's a great, I th- <laughs> it's a great story, a great way of, of looking at it. So over the course of, of three years, you've, you've had a lot of guests in and out. In your blog post on Matt's blog, you question, and this was a question that really inspired me to get hold of you. You said, you know, are we creating impossibly spoiled guests? And it got me thinking about the changing nature of guests, because I'm seeing this in my business. How are we driving those expectations now? That's a great question. While we were building the vacation rental house, I joined Matt's inner circle. And the year that I was building and after we opened, of course, I've been reading a lot of the posts about exceeding guest expectations and providing guests with wonderful experiences. And and I just started feeling a nagging concern in the back of my head, but I couldn't put my front paws on it. It was just like, what's bugging me about this? And then one post crystallized this, and I don't even remember which one it was, but it had me realizing that are we giving away too many perks to guests without raising our rates? I mean, we Mm. talk a lot about going above and beyond and making sure guests have a great experience, not just giving them a clean bed and bathroom. But nobody has said, and be sure to raise your rate when you layer on all of these things. Well, we're not the Make-A-Wish Vacation Foundation. We are profit-seeking property owners or managers. So this sort of had me sitting up straight and whacking myself on the side of my head and saying, are we giving away too many perks to guests without raising our rates? When some hotels still charge for Wi-Fi, 
why are we providing welcome gifts and making tour arrangements and heating pools to 88 degrees for free? So I felt there's a point when we must increase our rates to cover these extra expenses to source and manage and provide all of these wonderful things we've become quite keen on providing. Yet, but when we raise our rates, how do we remain price competitive, especially to our previous guests, whom we've now trained to regard our superior hosting as eh, normal? Yeah, you, you, so at- you mentioned something in, in that post about croissant. And, and it, it reminds me, my, my sister has an apartment in, in her home that she, she rents on Airbnb and it's just Airbnb because you know, she has an open staircase case between the two levels. So it's not really, you know, it's more a shared home, but she has started providing, she, well, she always has made these um, homemade shortbread and she leaves them out for her guests. And she was doing this, you know, replenishing it every day. And people are talking about it in the reviews. Everybody's mentioned these homemade shortbreads. So now it's an absolute given that she has to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think this is where you're coming from with that one. Yeah. It's, well, we did that with croissants. It's, it, we've become, we've spoiled ourselves. And my husband goes down to the bakery in our little town and brings home fresh croissant every morning. And we thought, well, well, why don't we bring some for our guests on their first wake-up morning? A nice gesture. So he usually goes down to the front door with our very handsome golden retriever and presents croissant and instructs him about preheating the oven and putting them in for five minutes and how it's just so wonderful because that unleashes all of their crisp, buttery goodness. (laughs) And, of course, they like it. Well, we have these absolutely wonderful guests whom we love who came for their second visit while my husband was out of town and I'd had knee surgery. It was arthroscopic stuff, but I couldn't manage the stairs yet. So their first morning, there were no croissants. Well, my husband came home the next day. So then the next morning there were croissants, but that was morning two, not morning one. And later she told me, now she's very twinkly. So this wasn't a complaint, but she said, you know, when nobody knocked on the door our first morning, we wondered if we only got croissants for our first day. So our friendly gesture, like your sister, mm-hmm. had now become guest policy. Yeah, and you just, if you extrapolate that, how many times does that happen? And I know Matt talks a lot about you know, limited edition, and this is part of this limited um, edition model, I guess, is that you're going one step ahead of everybody else. That's creating the expectations for future guests because because they will go out on the reviews and tell everybody about this. So now every potential guest sees that as standard. Right. And that's fine if you can sustain that extra perk. There's been some discussion about how some swanky hotels provide pillow menus so you can have a buckwheat pillow or, I don't know, some goat tail pillows or pillows made out of clouds. It's, it's You have a menu of all of these pillows. And I think our absolutely darling Spanish-speaking maid who lives in a one-room house with no hot water, how is she going to process an inventory of pillows mm-hmm. and 
reliably know which one is which and and know how to make up each bed. It's just, it would be impossible, absolutely impossible for us to offer. And how would we make that profitable? It's these extra limited edition perks or these special touches that don't necessarily have to be expensive, but it takes time to source them and it takes staff training to provide them. And it's like you said, we have to be careful that if we just do it as a one-off nice touch, if somebody writes a review about it, now what have we done? So that's when this idea of are we competing against ourselves to sort of one-up each other and thereby creating this arms race of impossibly spoiled guests. It's If first-time guests or prospective guests are going through the online travel agencies and they've set up their filters. In our case, they want Wi-Fi, pool, some kind of ocean view. Well, there's no filter for bathrobes or croissants delivered. So how do these extra perks even show up on somebody's radar to hook them into our property rather than the hundreds of others they can choose from. And often, first-time or prospective guests haven't stumbled upon our websites and can see the whole picture of what we offer. So it's how do we filter what we provide and what we can consistently provide at the same quality and be profitable. So how do you do that? How, how do you make those decisions on, because if, if you didn't make decisions like, like this on what you're going to provide and what you're not going to provide, it's just going to continue this escalation, isn't it, of extras mm. upon extras. And escalation is the perfect word for it, Heather. I turn to marketing genius that I have admired and followed for decades. His name is Jay Abraham. Uh, he works internationally and he has a brain that connects dots across hundreds of industries of what's worked. And he's been a longtime student of psychology and behavior motivation and things like that. And the way his mind functions, it, I don't know what the inside of it looks like, but I'm sure it's all about things colliding and sparks go off. And I'm sure fireworks sparks come out of his ears when he has ideas. But he has the most brilliant way of making decisions that I've ever stumbled across. And that's his model of, or his premise, that there are three ways to grow a business. Only three. One, you increase the number of clients. Or for us, we increase our guest retention rate. We convert more prospective guests into paying guests. And or we add rooms or we add properties. So that's the one way. The second way is to increase the average transaction value, meaning we raise our rates or we create vacation packages with profitable margins or we encourage longer stays or we upsell extra services, amenities and activities. And the third way is to increase the frequency of repurchase. And again, for us in the vacation rental world, that could be increased repeat bookings, increased referral bookings, and increased off-season occupancy. So those are the three ways. You increase the number of guests, you increase the average transaction value, and you increase the frequency of repurchase. If an idea can't 
measurably accomplish at least one of these three ways to grow, it isn't an improvement. It's an added expense. Yeah. Would you look at adopting just one of these ways or are you looking at all three or or a mix of them or is one more important than the other? I think my filter is, will it, an idea do one of these things? The home run is if one idea can do all three because then you have an exponential increase in growth. Let me give you an example. In one of the bedrooms of our new house, the one we built, there's an armchair, but there's no place to put your feet, which in our guest case would probably be there's no place to drape their discarded t-shirts. <laughs> Um, So I've been thinking, oh, this season I'll drive the 45 minutes in icky traffic down to Puerto Vallarta, try to find a parking space and go to the overpriced fancy designer furniture store to look for some kind of footrest. But then I think, Sally, what are you doing? No guest has ever asked you for a footrest. And why would you add that when it's not going to make a difference in bookings? Nobody has asked for it, and it's not going to increase your profitability. I can't raise a rate based that we now have a place to put your feet. So it's just lie down until that feeling goes away. I used to have a business partner years and years ago, and his mantra was, whenever I came up with something exactly like the footstool, you know, we need to get one of these because our guests are really going to love it. And he would simply say, Heather, does it sell more chickens? <laughs> if it doesn't sell more chickens, we ain't getting it. <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was just it was a simple way of saying, in fact, what, what, what you're saying here, that you've got to look at everything in terms of and I, I love this. Is it going to increase the number of clients, increase the average tra- transaction value or increase the frequency of, of repurchase. It's a really great model for, for yes, looking. And I love the fact you just said to you lie down <laughs> and wait, yeah. for that, wait for the feeling to pass over. Well, and I think when we are in this business to host people rather than hope people help you pay your mortgage, I, I think our inclination is to want to go above and beyond and to treat our guests like welcome guests instead of, oh, you've got to be here pests. So I think we're naturally wired if we're professional hosts to want to provide extra things and make it extra memorable or comfortable. But providing a little glass jar of free Q-tips can accomplish the same touch and it doesn't cost as much. I think you're you're exactly right. And that, that's a really good example. It's one of those things that a guest will go into the bathroom and go, oh, wow, that is so neat. Thank you. You know, in their head, it's thank you for providing that. Whereas, yeah. whereas the fancy footstool that you may have spent a, a gazillion dollars on is, as you say, is going to be a repository for, for a discarded T-shirt. In the post I wrote about my barbecue decision, that I had a couple of guests who said, gee, it'd be so nice if you had a grill. We really missed it. So I thought about this. And this particular house is is literally open air. There's no west wall, but it's that's mm-hmm. the direction of the Pacific Ocean. And the house is just completely indoor-outdoor. There's no wall on the west side. So that means the lovely tropical breeze, which is laden with salt, would corrode a grill within two years. 
in addition, I couldn't count on staff to properly clean it, especially when we have same-day turnarounds. And then getting those little propane tanks is an aggravating 90-minute round-trip drive, and guess who would have to make that drive? On top of that, most guests go out for dinner. And in three seasons of renting, really only two guests said they missed having a grill. And they've both become repeat guests without a grill. So I went through these three questions. Will having a grill increase the number of clients? Uh Uh-uh. Increase the average transaction value? No, I can't raise my rate based on having a grill. Will it increase the frequency of repurchase or rebookings? No, because I already had the ones who said they wanted a grill rebook. And then I added my personal hassle factor of having to get the little propane tanks, stressing over whether the staff had time to properly clean it and all of that. And I decided, no, I'm not going to get a grill. I read that and, and I thought, oh, actually, when, you know, when I go away, we, we really like a grill. And then I thought about the time we went, we, we stayed at a fabulous place in Costa Rica and we had the most amazing time and, and it just got me thinking, well, that was, that was an inside out type of place. You know, the, the, the living area was all open air and, and there was no real distinction between inside and outside because there was no real wall and there was no grill. And we were there for a whole week. And I remember thinking when I read your post, I think there was no grill and we didn't even think about it. Yeah. So yeah, that, and, and you know, and then I thought, I wish all my 180 properties up here in Ontario didn't have grills because they're, they are <laughs> the cause of most of the complaints because we can't rely on staff to properly clean them. And getting those little propane tanks is a real pain. And so I thought, well, it would be lovely not to provide that. You know, it's it's part of the uh, nature of cottage renting in Ontario. But I can really see how you applied your model, your J. Abraham model, to that decision for, for getting a grill in your property in Mexico. It just makes huge amount of sense. Well, and, and I add in my personal hassle factor because... Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if you're in a remote location or in a different country, there's a whole nother level of complexity of just trying to make things possible. Yeah, absolutely. But all of this thinking sort of brought up another nagging thought. Are we approaching guest engagement all wrong? And that came to mind because I remembered reading an article in Fast Company magazine quite a few years ago where a well-funded Silicon Valley startup decided to go above and beyond in employee benefits and perks to attract and keep top talent, which makes a lot of sense, right? But after a year of lavish treatment, human resources found that the employees did not feel grateful and engaged. They felt entitled to even more. (laughs) And this article posed that the more a company tries to bribe their employees into being happy, the less engaged they become. But when a company supported employees' intrinsic or personal motivations to perform well, the employees were rewarded by their own accomplishments. So yes, this is about employees, but there are lessons for us. Before we layer on more amenities and services and experiences and barbecues and footrests. Let's ask Jay Abraham's three questions, but let's also answer two questions about intrinsic motivations. One, what would help our ideal prospective guests choose our property 
over every other choice available to them, including hotels and even other destinations. So why would they choose us and say, this is the one I want? How do we answer that question? And then the second one is, does this idea that I have in my head to make things wonderful, does this idea satisfy what our ideal guests yearn for at our destination and property? So this circles back to remember when I talked about when we built our new house, I had a very clear picture of who our ideal guests were. This circles back to that, having a very clear understanding of who our ideal guests are and what they're seeking on their vacation, which leads us to how to engage them. I've got a great story from when I worked in the Bahamas. Do you want to hear it? Oh, sure. Well, naturally, our guests were mostly divers. And this was a small, family-owned, funky dive resort. And our guests, of course, shared their passion of diving, and they quickly connected with each other by sharing all of their stories. Well, guests also connected with the resort's very laid-back lifestyle. In fact, it, this often happened by day three of their visit. Some started greeting new arrivals and showing them to their cottage, or they'd volunteer to be the bartender for an afternoon. So, Heather, this would be like you would arrive, and three days later, Matt would show up, and you'd say, oh, hi, Matt. Great to see you. You're in Cottage 12. Let me walk you down. And Matt just assumes you're a staff member, but he finds out three days later you're a guest. So I learned to read who these guests were. Mm -hmm. You know, are these the people who really wanted to just jump in and participate? And I started giving them assignments, which they loved. And this helped them finally live their dream. Mm -hmm. I want to work at a dive resort in the tropics or something like that. So we had one guest who would come down every July during a full moon, and he would show up, and uh, his name was Tom. And I'd say, oh, Tom, I put your weight belt on the dive boat. I've got it all set up for you. We're going to go to your favorite dive this morning. We'd go out in the boat. We'd do two dives in the morning, and sometimes I'd be so hungry I just had to eat or I was going to collapse. And I'd say, Tom, will you fill the gas tanks, please? I've got to go eat lunch. And he would take the five-gallon gas tanks that somebody had wheeled out onto the dock and sure enough, fill up the outboard engines and come back in for lunch. He loved it. It was a way for him to feel he belonged and live his version of the dream. So, so it, that was, you know, it, go it, ahead. it comes back to really, really knowing your persona, knowing who this target guest is, not just the fact that they want to come and have an ocean view, right. but, but what their thinking is, what their deeper thinking is about how they're going to experience that vacation and not, not, not the experience in terms of the barbecue or the grill, I guess, having a grill, <laughs> but, but more emotively, I guess. Is that a word, emotively? It is now. I, it is now, yes. <laughs> you should trademark it. <laughs> It, it is understanding that, and it's, it's often the guests have not even articulated this to themselves, but something motivated them to pick this property above all others. And if you've got a very clear idea of who your target audience is, not just their age, not just what airport they live near, not just their household income or level of college education, but the psychographics about mm -hmm. them 
What's important to them? What means something to them? What stage of life may they be in? It's another shorter example is uh, my husband and I stayed a little tiny hotel in Florence, Italy. It was owned by a couple. We were going to be there about four nights. And we asked them about a place to get coffee and croissant in the morning. And they pointed out Phoebe's down the street and said, this is, this is our cafe. This is where we go. So we decided we'd make Phoebe's our place in the morning. And our first morning, we introduced ourselves to the guy behind the counter. And I was studying Italian, so I was able to order two cappuccinos and two croissant in Italian, which puffed him up a little bit. <laughs> and the next mornings, we kept coming back. So by the third morning, we were being greeted by name. And it just felt so good to be viewed as welcome customers rather than walking credit cards. We'd found a way to break out of the bubble and connect. And for us, that's an important part of having a satisfying vacation. Okay. So, so I was just I was just noting that down, seen as welcome customers and not walking credit cards. And I mm. I love that. We have a similar story. We and, and again, I, actually ours is a flo- mine's a Florence story as well. And we stayed in Florence um, a couple of years ago for a conference. And I went to the conference and my husband um, would, you know, toured around on his own with my son. And, but at the end of the road where, I've, where our apartment was, was a little bar. And, and Phil went there every day when he got back from his touring and he sat there. And after the, after the first couple of days, he arrived at the bar and he, he said this to me when I got there after the end of the conference day. And he said, would you believe as I walked in, the guy put my beer down in front of me? And he was so, you know, Phil was so puffed up with this. You know, he said, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm welcome. Like I'm a yes. local. And yes, that's so exactly the same. Yeah. So how do we do this then? How do we make our guests have that feeling of belonging without having to go over the top? Right. And this is something that can be free. And this is what has them come back again and again, feeling like, I am not invisible, which, of course, human being recognized is a core human need, not like, oh, oh, you're Heather Bayer, Mm -hmm. but you are a human being. I see you. I value you. Thank you for being here. Well, to help our guests break out of the bubble and connect, we really encourage them to speak a few words of Spanish, and we keep phrase books in the house. Uh, and we encourage them to greet people in town. It's hola is pretty easy to remember, or buenos dias, or buenas tardes, or buenas noches, como esta. It's not a lot of Spanish, but when you see somebody on the sidewalk in our little village and you say buenos dias with a smile, you will be greeted with just the most genuine, beautiful, lovely smile and a return greeting, and you've made a connection. And people just can't get over how friendly and welcoming people are. But they will be a bit reserved and respectful unless you reach out first. So we really encourage our guests to speak a few words of Spanish. We also invite them to pack any spare pairs of reading glasses they have. You know, I've got them in every drawer and in glove compartments in my car and Some have a bit of scratch or they're just no longer the right magnification. And I just assume our target audience is at that age where they need reading glasses too, because that's part of my guest profile. 
So I encourage them to bring their spare readers and take them to the local community center, which is just a brilliant place where they have a major library for a village of our size. They have out-of-school programs for the children. They have all sorts of classes to help women develop job skills. It's just this wonderful, heartwarming place. And so that gives them a chance to give something to the community and hopefully linger and learn a bit about the community center and get excited about it. If they practice yoga or Pilates, I tell them about local classes available and really encourage them and we'll make arrangements for them to participate in a class. So I practice Pilates and it's so fun to return to Mexico and realize I'm doing Pilates in Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) And I just laugh throughout my first session when I come back. Uh, If our guests are dog people, then, of course, they meet our Golden Retriever, Brando, who is in himself a local celebrity in our little village. So that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Now, if you own a condo in Orlando, Florida, and your guests come to visit Disney World, you need to look at, well, what would make sense for you? What do your guests yearn for? Are they grandparents trying to create memories with their grandchildren? Are they parents who want to post their vacation on Instagram every hour? Are they adults traveling without any kids who just love all things Disney? Who is your ideal guest and why do they pick your destination and what are they looking for? So, you know, as we just said, it, and I think that's a huge lesson coming out of this conversation is we need to spend more time understanding who this target market is, who these personas are and, and why they're coming. And I think what you shared is just fantastic. We're, we're sort of coming towards the end of our time, which is, is, is very sad. But I, I want to just ask you one question about, you know, you've talked about giving things away, but you also charge for, for a concierge service. Yes. It's a small charge, but you're making that charge for doing all those things that guests are starting to take for granted and demand from a host, but they're really wearing and time consuming to do. What had you, what made you decide that you were going to put a flat charge out there for offering all these things? And this could be anything, you know, in, in any place like tea times for golf booking restaurants, booking whale watching trips, if you're in in that sort of area. For us, maybe it would be booking uh, water ski lessons. So guests have sort of come to feel that this is something that a host will do and you can just keep demanding that and demanding that and the host will continue to give it. How has it been for you to charge for that? It's been really good, not because we make money, because most guests don't choose that. But since we are in a Spanish-speaking country, And if people don't have any Spanish, it's they're intimidated by trying to do this on their own and understandably. But I wanted to present that we would be happy to make all of your reservations, arrangements and things like that for you for a fee of X amount of dollars per week. So that has told people up front through the rates page that, oh, all of these services are available, but there is value attached to it, and do I want to pay extra or not? And most guests decide they're not going to pay extra for it, but they also don't bug us to do those things for free. Love that. Yeah. And I, and I know I've been to places where, where the owners said, oh, just, just let us know if, um, you know, if you want to do this or do this or, or, or go, go visit the Swimming Pigs um, 
in Exuma or, or whatever. And and then I thought, well, I don't want to keep bothering the host for this, but you know, he said we could do this, so you perhaps do it. So I'm I'm thinking that this is this is a, a great idea and it's just something I'm going to be pondering upon in terms of what we as a company do uh, as a property management company. So so thanks thanks for sh- thank you for sharing that one. Finally, Sally, your website is astonishingly good and I know it was designed by the incomparable Antonio Bortolotti who um, who amongst other things hosts the Vacation Rental World Summit. It is a great website. How does it perform as a booking platform for you in terms of booking direct? Because this is something that, you know, the the book direct movement is growing. We want to push this as something that all owners can do is to have their own website. So I'm just wondering how it does for you. Uh, it's doing really well. It's, it's As I said earlier, this will be our fourth season of hosting. and We do have a good number of repeat bookings, which is very gratifying. So I would say at about this time, about a third of our bookings come through our website. And then I'm quite astonished that people who go to VRBO, HomeAway, haven't used all of the clues that I have seeded throughout those listings to have them hunt for our website. And this has happened in the last year, whereas before I would get more inquiries to the website. And now I'm getting more inquiries from HomeAway and VRBO than a year before. And I'm thinking people are just, they just don't care or they're lazier or maybe they don't mind paying the extra so-called service fee. So it sort of has me scratching my head that why wouldn't they look for our website? So I don't know if that's a shift in the traveler. Our, Our core target guest has remained the same. So it's not as if we're suddenly looking for millennials to start beating down our front door. We're looking for more of the younger boomers. So that's a bit of a puzzle. Mm, that, that's really interesting because I'm, I'm hearing from, I'm, you know, I talked to Rick Oster about um, his golf mm-hmm. houses and you know, granted that's a very niche market. So people are perhaps going to a golf resort and then looking for accommodation on there rather than going to VRBO for a golf, you know, a house and a golf resort. But he is getting to 90% direct booking. So it's really interesting to hear that perhaps, you know, you're going the other way. And, uh, you know, part of me thinks, you know, are we, are we fighting the mammoth here in trying to get people to book directly through us when the majority of them are so, that they're, they're immune, as you say, they're immune to those clues that you're giving in the listing mm. to say, come and find me and save that money. Do they really not care anymore about service fees? Well, in a flip side of that, Heather, is uh, my husband and I wanted to rent a house on the Connecticut shore for a few days this summer. It, it would be a quick vacation. We'd just get in the car and drive for two hours and we'd be there. Uh, and I found one house that just stood out for its professionalism in hosting uh, this was a professional host, not help us pay our mortgage owner. And the listing was on Airbnb. And I was able, through my internet gumshoe work, to track her down and email her directly. She did not make it easy, but I persevered. And I said, I identified that we are hosts as well, and I'd very much like to book. And can we book direct so it can avoid the so-called service fees from Airbnb? And she said, no, we only book through Airbnb. So she refused a direct 
booking and I needed I had to pay an extra 300 bucks or something to Airbnb. I was not happy. Yeah, but you wanted that property. I wanted that property and I wanted that host mm-hmm. because the others, it's just like, I, I just didn't trust any of the other listings because, you know, they're all phone camera, bad exposure photos and the kitchen towels are wadded up on the kitchen counter and it, it the toilet seats up and it was just like, uh. mm-hmm. so, but. Even though I wanted to book direct with her, they only book through Airbnb. So, and then I was really annoyed by the Airbnb process with all these hoops I had to go through. And it was just like, really? This is my anticipation campaign? Is all of this annoying nonsense from this online travel agency? So it was a bit of an eye opener. Yes, I think until until you've actually done this, it's, you're just, you don't know what people do go through, but they are, and they, they seem majority of them are happy to do that. So, so that, mm. that's, that's, you, you've made some really interesting points on that, that whole, um, you know, book direct or not notion. So, uh, I'll take that along to our book direct movement meetings when, when they come up over the next couple of weeks. Hey, Sally, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I mean, I, I don't think we've covered half as much as I would have liked to have done. I'd love to meet you face to face one day. There's so many questions I'd like to ask you that we haven't been able to cover today. I'd you know, just like to really thank you for, for being here and uh, and giving us your time. Well, thank you. It's been fun and a pleasure. And of course, the link to Kazamar Azul in San Pancho will be on the show notes, as will a link to Jay Abraham's website and anything else that we mentioned. So once again, Sally, um, an absolute pleasure to have you on and uh, thank you again. I spoke to uh, Sally after that. We carried on talking for another five or 10 minutes after we'd stopped the interview. And I just said that I, I could have asked so many more questions. There were just so many things I would I wanted to uh, to talk about. Sally is a, is a consummate professional in this business. And I've learned a lot from just this conversation, uh, as well as that, uh, as, as a blog post she did uh, on for Matt. So make sure you go have a look at Sally's website because it is stunning. And it made me want to fly straight out to Mexico, even though she's not even open for business until November. But also take a look at the original blog post that inspired this episode because there's a lot more in there that we weren't able to get to and talk about. So because this interview uh, went on a little bit longer than I would normally expect it to do because there was just so much to talk about. Um, I'm not going to talk about any books this week or any, any resources. We are just going to head into the close right now and just thank you so much for joining me. Of course, as ever, if you've got any questions, if you've got questions for Sally, if you've got questions for me, you can go to vacationrentalformula.com and go to podcasts and it will come up with the latest podcast and you can go to the show notes and then go make a comment. We'd love to hear from you. You can, of course, 
connect with me directly at heather at vacationrentalformula.com. And as ever, if you like this podcast, I would love for you to give me a really, really good review on iTunes because the more reviews we get, of course, the better uh, or the more listeners we get. And, you know, we're getting a ton of new listeners, which is absolutely wonderful. It's so amazing to have you guys with us on a week by week basis. And I want to continue to give you as much in the way of content and new ideas as we possibly can. So just thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.